Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIAL Security Insider podcast. And today we are joined by Brian DeCary, CEO of ASIAL and Peter Johnson, Head of Compliance for ASIAL. And we are talking about the Automatic Mutual Recognition uh, Act that takes into account qualifications and certifications that people have in one state and allows them to work in the other states. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Morning, John. And Peter, welcome. How are you? Good, John. Thank you for inviting us. That's my pleasure. So perhaps you can start off by giving people listening to this a little bit of background about what the automatic mutual recognition of occupational registrations is because people seem, those people who know about it think that it's some sort of panacea. It's going to be the answer to all of our problems with regard to mutual recognition of licensing in the security industry. And then there's those people who know nothing about it. So help us set the scene, Brian, by telling us a little bit about what this is. Well, basically, uh, people who are working in, in different occupations, the, the consideration is to be able to work across jurisdictions uh, and have your uh, license that's issued in one state uh, accepted in another state automatically. Um, this is the latest in a series of uh, initiatives over many years. Uh, there was one probably about a decade ago called the National Occupational Licensing Scheme, which uh, got pretty close to, to getting up and then uh, fell over at the last moment. So this is the, the latest in a series of efforts to make the, the movement of people across jurisdictions um, with a license uh, a lot easier uh, to allow workforce mobility. So uh, it's something which has been talked about for many years. So this is now uh, uh, part of the federal government's push to try and reduce uh, the regulatory red tape that exists currently for individuals working in multiple or across borders or working with clients that operate across the country. So, and to try and overcome the, the need to have multiple licenses to perform the same activity. Okay. Now, just for the record, uh, to set the stage for this, it, it's important for people to understand there's a couple of things that this act proposed. So I'm going to go through them because ASIAL basically supported largely all of the recommendations. So I think that's important for people to understand. They need to know that this is something that was suggested, that the association's gotten behind and said, yes, we we agree with this. And first of all, the, the proposed draft wanted to introduce mutual recognition principle, which meant that a person who is registered for an occupation in their home state is entitled to carry out on those activities or uh, authorised under their home state and registration in a second state, which you agreed with. It also suggested that the automatic deemed that there be an automatic deemed registration whereby a person who is registered for an occupation in their home state is taken to be registered in a second state for the purpose of carrying on those activities permitted under their home registration, that the registered person will not be required to pay extra fees or meet any additional requirements for the issue of a renewal or registration to undertake permitted activities in the second state, and that the registered person will need to comply with the laws of the second state and so on. So basically this would essentially allow people to work under their security license in a second state. But one of the things I found interesting and wanted to ask you a question about is that it, you said in your response, ASIAL appreciates that in some jurisdictions, security regulators may seek to have the security occupation declared exempt from automatic recognition on the grounds that it would pose a significant risk to public safety. 
why did you feel that they may think that it would this automatic recognition would pose a risk to public safety? Yeah, that's a really uh, good one, John, and it's one that we believe that was appropriate for us to Asia to recognise that it was inappropriate for us to re- to say that this is fantastic and we support it, and we do. We believe it's an important move forward for national recognition of licensing cross borders. But it was also be very immature of the industry to not communicate with regulators. We have communicated with the regulators and we have been informed through various channels that some jurisdictions will request an exemption on the public safety grounds. It is not a critical comment on the industry. It is really a reflection on the variations that occur in jurisdictional processes. And that's why it would be inappropriate for us to be hold everyone out there to say, this is going to happen, when we just got to be mindful that we know what regulators are going to request. We have had intimate communication with them, and it's appropriate for us to realise that. And if, in fact, there are some jurisdictions that will request an exemption, that exemption will last for five years, and then they'll have to re-justify But the thing being is we want those regulators, if in fact they do request an exemption, to actively engage with the industry so we can try to work through a process to overcome their objections. It's not the industry, it's their processes of their fellow jurisdictions. So it was important for us to put it in there. Yeah. I can just add to that. I mean, to reaffirm, Asia is is fully supportive of, of the introduction of AMR. However, it should not be at the detriment of the quality of the personnel moving between jurisdictions. If there are inconsistencies between jurisdictions, which they are, we want commitment from the regulators to work through those issues so we can address them rather than say it's all too hard, we just can't do it. We want a commitment to say, look, if there is an obstacle, let's work with industry to address that obstacle so we can get to where we need to get to. So as Peter said, the industry has matured enough to say where there's a problem, let's address the problem, let's address it head on. And and if you go back to 2008, the Council of Australian Governments agreed to introduce nationally consistent uh, licensing for the security industry. We're now 13 years on um, and we still haven't got there. Uh, we need to we need to actually uh, you know, get moving on this, and regulators need to uh, to take up the take up the uh, the action to actually address any inconsistencies because that is a risk to public safety, and that exists now that there are inconsistencies between jurisdictions. That is a that is a risk to public safety. So let's let's address them. Yeah. Now it's important for those people listening to understand. In the submission that ASIL puts forward, it does address this by going on to say, in situations where this exemption arises, ASIL has suggested that rather than outright rejecting AMR for the security occupation, ASIL wants to seek clear direction from the regulators to engage with the industry to develop a suitable model for automatic deemed recognition for occupants and the security industry. But, I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying that you you have a suspicion that this AMR or automatic mutual recognition under this scheme is potentially not going to get up. Can you perhaps explain why you think that might be the case? I guess in many respects, again, it's that communication we've had with regulators. And the prime example may have come recently from one of the regulators on a, um, a social media platform 
where it was identified that a person applied for mutual recognition that currently exists that requires the applicant to make an application, pay a fee, and they automatically are recognised to hold a licence. There is no further checks undertaken by the receiving jurisdiction. In that uh, comment, there was a, a, a case and that person was allowed to hold the licence, but then they subsequently wanted to apply for a business licence in the jurisdiction. We must realise that mutual recognition does not apply to businesses. So this person applied for a business licence in the jurisdiction. As a result of that, the jurisdiction had the right to do fingerprint checking, criminal history check and associated material. And as a result of that, they found the person was not apparently suitable to hold a licence. So there we have a person that has applied for an individual license from one jurisdiction to another jurisdiction. And ultimately that person was not eligible if they were a resident of that jurisdiction to uphold or applied for license. So that's the inconsistency. And that's why we have had that information. And as we say, even being put into social media area of that example. And that's why we believe that there will be some pushback by regulators that they are not at the stage where they can accept this AMR legislation. Some jurisdictions may, but we know that others will have already indicated they will go for an exemption. Yep. So a lot of people are going to think, oh, well, this is just typical of the various states and territories. They make money out of licensing. This is why they're pushing back because they don't want to lose their revenue source. But Cameron Smith from Security Licensing and Enforcement Division in New South Wales has quite openly gone on social media on a number of occasions and said, well, that's total rubbish. Anyone who thinks we actually make money out of licensing by the time you take into account the regulatory processes that we have to go through, the staff that are required to run the department, um, the managing, the monitoring of all of that, we don't make any money out of this. So is it just the the training framework and the licensing requirements because we've had a common training framework across all of the states and territories for some years now it's not so much the training framework now because we have got a common platform and we have agreed uh, training the certificate two or as entry level training that's a common area we do have some variations in quality of training but the objections will not necessarily be on that as much. It may will be on the probity that may or may not have been undertaken in one jurisdiction to another. They are those variations. We have some variation in licence categories. The training is one thing that we've always talked about. But going back to your other comment about the financial aspect, regulator models in most jurisdictions are on a cost recovery process. And the more we want regulators to do in our industry, the higher the fees will be expected because they need to be resourced. One of our critical comments of regulators is that they may not do enough in the areas that we believe they should, and that may be a resource situation. And that means that resources required, that's an additional cost. So it's a bit of a circular argument in relation to that. Um, we at times in the industry, and we see this in comments right across the nation, that people don't believe the regulator is giving enough back to the industry for the fees in which 
we pay, but um, they then can justify it within the cost structures they have. So, again, we would like to see them doing a better job with the money they get, but I don't think it's a money argument either, and it's not a matter of them losing the revenue. It is a matter of their responsibility. And we must also reflect upon the the jurisdictional responsibilities and in relation to their constitutional rights is that they have not given up their rights to license security in their jurisdiction. So they are required to maintain that within their jurisdiction. They have not referred that power to the federal government. So that's why we have jurisdictional licensing because it is a jurisdictional responsibility and we don't have any say in that at the moment. And I think from a conceptual point of view, I don't think there'd be any, from my understanding, any jurisdiction that would disagree with the concept of being able to have you know, simpler, quicker, less expensive uh, requirements for licensing. I think where we get, where some of the regulators get stuck is obviously there's inconsistencies between jurisdictions. We, we provided a similar submission to the Productivity Commission back in 2015 on this very issue of mutual recognition. And it's really what we need to do is, is unblock the system so we can actually address, if there are is issues, we need to actually address them head on. Uh, we've been talking around it for many, many years. Everyone knows what the issues are, and it does come back to the, uh, the licensing requirements, the eligibility requirements, which are different for every jurisdiction. So, you know, we need to bite, uh, get, grab the horns by the, the bull by the horns and actually address the issue rather than keep talking around it, thinking it would be nice to do, but it's too difficult. The other thing, I think the federal government has a role to play in, there will need to be a centralized database to be able to track the movement of people between jurisdictions when, if and when this AMR comes into place. So there needs to be a mechanism where jurisdictions can track who's where and when. Um, so that will involve an investment. So I say the common sense would be say, this is a very logical thing to do to allow, you know, licensed professionals to, to move freely and perform their work, you know, as and where they require. So um, it's just whether there's the, uh, the the drive and the uh, the momentum within some of those jurisdictions to to achieve this. Yeah. So have those disparities between, um, I suppose, probity and eligibility and and some of those other things that you mentioned, have they been mapped across the various jurisdictions? And then the disparities between jurisdictions shown. So it's like, okay, New South Wales. In order for Victoria to be on the same level, you need to do this. Victoria, you need to do that. New South Wales, you need to introduce this so that there is a clear roadmap towards what this would look like. Yeah, I guess in many respects that has been broadly recognised, but as far as a specific roadmap, I don't think regulators have mapped that out. The industry has raised it on a number of occasions and regulators have responded. One of those areas is the area of criminal intelligence. We have jurisdictions that are managed by the police in licensing. They have more activity that they conduct in relation to criminal uh, intelligence. Where we have other jurisdictions, they may not readily have access to that criminal intelligence. And we will see some regulators in the policing jurisdiction whereby they may reject uh, for a license or seek further clarification on matters because of suggested criminal uh, activity where non-police jurisdictions won't have that intelligence. That's one of the areas that at times raises its uh, issue. And the other one is the some of the probity is different, although we in 
in the legislation in jurisdictions, that's very similar now. It's a matter of some of the processes in the jurisdictions and the depth of checking that allows anomalies to take place as that one that was raised, um, as you indicated before, in the social media by New South Wales. And that was one where one jurisdiction allowed a person to be licensed and the other jurisdiction wouldn't. That's where this automatic mutual recognition process would not remove. So we're trying to uh, get them to say to us, what is their problems? What is their objections? And let's work with that. And if we need to have some form of concerted effort to realign processes, that maybe that's the pathway forward. And now as an industry, we've got a responsibility because to try to get the regulators to address that because this sort of legislation is necessary to enable an industry to work nationally as many of our organisations and many of our individuals do work cross borders. And that's particularly in Queensland, New South Wales, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, uh, Victoria to a degree, West Australia, not so much. Um, but that's the variations we have. So it's a, it's one of those ones, it's a challenge. And the thing being is before we've allowed regulators to say no, this time we're saying, if you say no, why? And let's move forward on a process and a pathway of outcome and one that we can actually all work with. Yeah. We've seen in the past that there have been instances in which we have had mutual recognition of licensing, particularly around things like surge capability for large events, whether it be a Commonwealth Games or an Olympics or, or significant events of that nature. So we know that it can work on a limited scale. I mean, I, I guess I'm sort of asking you to crystal ball gaze here a little bit, and you may not be able to, but from your experience, is it that you think the rec the regulators don't necessarily have an appetite for long-term mutual recognition of licensing? Or is it simply one of those things where it's kind of been in the too hard basket and it's, you know, like when your kid walks in on a Saturday afternoon and says, hey, mum, can I go out with my friends tonight? And they're just like, oh, ask your dad. I don't want to know. It's too hard. Yep. It, it may be a situation is that when your child comes home and want to go out with their friends, you might say, who are your friends? Yep. And the thing being is, under the existing mutual recognition legislation, we know who the friends are. So therefore, the regulators receive an application from the person wanting to work in the jurisdiction and their application is processed and a fees associated with that. Under this automatic mutual recognition process is that that person would not be recognised in their jurisdiction as easily and they will be get registered. But the thing being is it's not as easy for them and they won't know who's undertaking a security activity in their jurisdiction. So that's a little bit of an underpinning concern, I believe, for the regulators, and it's one we've got to address. And it may be that in this national legislation, which is not only for security, maybe we need to have some other specific areas to meet the regulator concerns and have some amendments to that legislation that will enable regulators to see who's crossing borders to work in their jurisdiction and therefore they will feel more comfortable in allowing the process to take place. I think one of the issues is I think there's a, a degree of mistrust between jurisdictions so that's why they're not as accepting as they could be because they think maybe the regimes in other jurisdictions are not as as robust and rigorous as their own so so in a potentially opposing AMR the actual vulnerability is not being addressed we need to 
let's address if there are vulnerabilities, let's address them head on uh, because the the future, we will have surge demand for a whole range of different activities and we will need to move personnel between jurisdictions at very short notice. So having that capability is critical. It will be even more critical in the future. So the thing is we need to put in place a model that allows people to go about their business in a lawful way, a professional way, and to be able to move between jurisdictions um, and not have to have eight licenses if they happen to operate in eight jurisdictions as an individual. So um, there needs to be the the wherewithal to actually let's just get get this done. I mean, as I say, the, the Council of Australian Governments agreed this was a good idea in 2008, um, and yet we didn't get anywhere. The, they didn't get anywhere. The regulators couldn't get to agreement. Um, and as Pete said, we know what the broad issues are uh, and where the vulnerabilities are, where the inconsistencies are. Even in terms of, you know, license classes, there's variations in what a security officer is called in one jurisdiction to another. The training package puts a, a very clear framework in place for that. So, you know, we've got a we've got the framework. Let's uh, let's get on and do it. it. It will involve a bit of work, but the, the logic logic would I would would suggest that it's a it's a very sensible thing to do. Yeah. Okay. So just in wrapping this up, then maybe just give me the sort of you know the five point plan for what you think needs to happen from here in order for uh, the industry to be able to get some form of mutual recognition across the line? Uh, it's interesting one, that one. The first one is that we want regulators to accept this legislation. If they don't, we want to know what their objections are. And then as an industry and regulator, we will work with the regulators and the industry to come up with an outcome, a suggestion. In the past, that may not have been the case. We think the industry is more mature and more professional now that the regulators and governments will engage with us. And that's what we need, engagement with regulators and governments to achieve the outcome. So I think that the biggest one is recognise what are our barriers and then address them. Apart from that, it's a matter of the fine points. And that may mean procedural change or legislative change. If that's the case, that's what we need to address. But we may, in Australia, we may have, in that five point, we may have three or four jurisdictions rejecting it and the others accepting it. So we're going to get, a, again, an anomaly occurring across uh, Australia. So that's going to be disappointing as well. But the first one is, why? what do they want? Are they going to accept it? If they're not going to accept it, let's find out why and let's address it with an agreed outcome. Yeah, I think to just to echo that, I mean, I think the, the first big step is for regulators to, in principle, go on the record and support AMR. Uh, and then if they've, in principle, support and if they've got some uh, questions or areas that need addressing, then let's work through the issues and actually engage to address those is issues because we will be talking around the subjects for, for years and years and years to come. We finally need to bite the bullet and just go for it um, and actually work through the issues. And I think... Um, there is a path forward, um, and we're hopeful that the AMR will be will be uh, implemented, but it won't be as effective if it's only two jurisdictions or three jurisdictions. Um, ideally, it's across all jurisdictions. That would make it uh, truly, uh, you know, truly the, the, the way we would like to see it happening. Um, and I, I think conceptually, all jurisdictions would agree it's a sensible thing. Um, let's set that on the record. And the next step then is how do we get there? Um, then we can start that, as Pete said, that roadmap to getting there is going to be more, much more achievable if we know where we want to get to. Yeah, for sure. 
Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for joining us, both Brian and Peter. If you would like to know more about the uh, automatic mutual recognition plan that's been proposed or ASIAL itself, you can visit www.asial.com.au. They have plenty of information there on the website. There are more podcasts like this one in the ASIAL Security Insider series. You can find them on Blurberry, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and all of the other fantastic places that you find podcasts. And we look forward to chatting to you again on the show in the near future. Thank you very much.